Let's now open our Bibles to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And we will read together verses 4 through 6. Let's pray briefly before reading. We ask, Heavenly Father, that as you have given to us through the blessed work of the Holy Spirit, this word without error by divine inspiration, that you will now illumine its page so that we may see Jesus. And we ask, Father, that as we quietly meditate upon what our Savior has done for us, that your people will be more deeply grateful and thankful and that we would find all of our salvation in the sufficiency of Jesus' blood. And we pray that in this service, as well as on Easter Sunday, those who may be among us who do not know the Lord Jesus, that you would open their hearts, that they may see their need of a Savior, and find in Christ, who is the only Redeemer of God's elect, their Savior for time and for eternity. For these things we pray in the name of of the one who loved us and gave himself for our sins, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 4 through 6. This is the word of God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we see the Son of God hanging upon a tree in agony and in blood on Good Friday and placed in a tomb, there is not much that looks good. But if ever looks were deceiving, this is that time. The eye of faith beholds him there and is overwhelmed with the good of Good Friday. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 is one passage that helps us to see the Father's goodness to us, His children, on Good Friday. It is part of the suffering servant portion of Isaiah. An 8th century B.C. prophet is permitted to see ahead by divine inspiration the death of the Savior for the sins of sinners like you and me. In chapter 50, another one of those passages that we call the suffering servant passages, we read, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. But if that is explicit, Isaiah 53 is even more remarkable. It is true of the Bible that the new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new, but this passage almost breaks that rule. Isaiah chapter 53 is an explicit reference to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Think of it. 
a prophet prophesying a full 750 years before Jesus was incarnate, before he was born, and before he died, clearly portrays the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, and all attempts to find its reference in some other person have completely failed. No one can bear the weight of Isaiah 53 but Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's focus very quietly now and immediately upon verses 4 through 6 and first see together the sin bearer. The sin bearer. We read in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And in this verse we have two very significant descriptions of our sin bearer. He bore or took up our sins upon himself, and he carried our sorrows upon himself. The words are intended to help us to see that on Good Friday, the Lord Jesus was laden with the sins of his people, laden with the sins that he took up voluntarily upon himself and carried upon himself. He is laden with all of the sins of all of God's people through all of the ages. Yet those who saw him suffering were revolted by him and esteemed him not. But the startling thought is that the griefs and sicknesses that he bore were not his own but ours. We have every reason to be revolted as we look at this scene. Not revolted by him who is altogether lovely, but to be revolted by my sin that he carried and my iniquity that he bore, suffering in my place. And so the text begins with this little particle in the Hebrew translated, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, or of a certain he did this. The text tells us that of a certain our Savior is our sin-bearer. But to become more explicit, secondly, he was our substitute. And so we read in verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. He did not suffer for his own transgressions, for he is without sin. He had no transgressions for which to suffer. But the contrast is between the we of verse 4 and the he of verse 5. We esteemed him not. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We did not esteem him, but he gave his life for us. And the transgression for which he suffered and died were not his transgressions, but ours. He was pierced for our transgressions. His sufferings were vicarious, penal, substitutionary atonement. Christ punished in the place of sinners like us. 
Our transgressions demanded wounding. Our iniquities in the face of a holy God demanded crushing. My sin wounded him. My sin crushed him under its guilty load. This is the chastisement that brought us peace. He died for crimes against God's law, not his for he had none, but our crimes as we broke the infinitely holy law of the infinitely holy God. Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. So I would stress to us on this Good Friday, his sufferings were vicarious. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The great James Henley Thorne will put it this way. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement is unquestionably an ultimate principle in the moral government of God. And he goes on to say these powerful words. In the scheme of redemption, God visits the transgressions of sinners in the person of the Son. The law executed in its utmost rigors, and God is just, perfectly and gloriously just, and justifying all who believe. Their sin has been as truly punished as if they themselves had been consigned to the darkness of hell. That's what substitutionary atonement means. That's where the text leads us. That believer, your sins were punished in the Son of God in such a way that it is as if you had paid for your sins forever and ever and ever and ever, and yet you will not, for Christ did it all. He, our substitute on the cross... His sufferings were vicarious. His sufferings were expiatory. His sufferings atoned for our sins and brought us peace. And so we read in verse 5, the second portion, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. As Paul tells us in Colossians 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And his sufferings were propitiatory. That is to say, we know peace because he knew wrath. We have peace with God because he knew the wrath of God and satisfied divine justice. We have peace because he drank the cup of divine wrath down, down, down to the full, to the bitter dregs. So that we can say, thankfully with the words of Hebrews, Now once at the end of the ages has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, because he bore the wrath of God in the sinner's place. Penal, substitutionary, blood atonement. And as we behold the scene, we must ask ourselves on this Good Friday, why? Why? Why did the Son of God suffer as our substitute? Why this penal, vicarious substitution on the cross? Why this bearing of wrath in the place of sinners? And of course, the scriptures give many answers to that question, but the answer of our text is found in verse 6. 
All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so here in verse 6, we find the lost sheep metaphor that we find in so many of the prophets. Ezekiel and others, Zechariah, prophesied that the shepherd will be struck. And surely this is the image behind John chapter 10. When our Savior says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, this passage in Isaiah is reflected. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why? Why did he go to the cross? We have just sung, the hymn writer wrote, Lo, the good shepherd, for the sheep is offered, the slave hath sinned, and the son hath suffered. Why? Why did he do this? And the glorious answer of our text is that Jesus, the Son of God, suffered because of our self-willed wandering. What could be more clear than the contrast here between God's way and our way? Why did the Son of God give his life upon the cross? It is because I was a wandering sheep. Because I departed from his ways. Because I broke his law. Because I lifted my fist in the face of Almighty God. Because I was a sinner bound to hell. And there is no other way, no other way that sinners may be saved from our sins, but a substitute upon the cross, a perfect substitute, God who became man, substituting himself upon a cross that my sins might be pardoned forever. That's why all we like sheep have gone astray We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as we quietly meditate upon these, let me bring these thoughts to you. First, the only adequate view of atonement is that of substitution. How tragic it is that this grand truth of the blood of Christ shed for sinners is now minimized, denied, and that old heretical views are returning to take the place of this one way of salvation. Church of God, I warn you, guard it or lose it. I warn you, the church must preach it or lose it, love it or lose it, make much of it or lose it, And how far we are from God's ways and his truth when we minimize this glorious central truth of the Son of God dying in the place of sinners. 
Every other view of the atonement fails to see what sin deserves and fails to provide the answer for the removal of our guilt in the sight of a holy God. My fellow sinner, listen to me. There is no other way to be saved than this way. There is no other way but God's way. There is no other way but the way that God himself has made through Jesus Christ who shed his blood on a cross. Atonement through Christ's blood is the only way to be saved from your sins. And I ask you, have you acknowledged yourself to be a sinner? Have you seen yourself to be a transgressor in the light of God's holy law? Have you turned in faith to Jesus Christ and embraced Him and Him alone for your salvation? And then secondly, I would turn our attentions to this truth. The incredible violence of the scene. Later, perhaps, on your own, read again the entirety of the 53rd of Isaiah and see if it does not strike you, the violence of what we find here. Yes, the physical violence, but there is more, more here than that. For all of the importance of the physical suffering of the Son of God, the greatest suffering was the emotional anguish of our Lord, the inconceivable, unknown sufferings of the Son of God as the Holy Son of God was forsaken by His Father in our place and His holy body and holy soul were made sin in the sight of God as He bore the sins of His people and the wrath of God upon Him. Note verse 10, even though we're focused on verses 4 through 6. Note verse 10 of Isaiah 53 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Or as the old version put it, it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief. Trim no meaning from the words. It was God's will to do it. It was Jehovah's will to do it. He was pleased, pleased, pleased to punish His own Son, the great mystery of it all. In punishing His own Son, the Father seemed to do so, if I may say it reverently, with His whole heart. And how can this be? It can be because Jesus, in the sight of His Father, bearing the sins of His people by imputation, was sin in the very sight of God. And this is what makes Good Friday good. For those for whom the Son of God substituted Himself on the cross, our sins are paid for in full, our guilt removed forever, our relationship with God restored, and our inheritance eternally secured. Because He did this, for us long ago. You know the old Scottish Presbyterian John Brown of Edinburgh said something that has always stuck with me. The value of the blood of Christ is the measure of the demerit of sin. The value of the blood of Christ is the measure of the demerit of sin. It was my sin that put him there. And the value of that blood must be infinitely sufficient 
For my sin was a sin against a holy and infinite God, and I deserve, because of my sin, His infinite displeasure, and it requires an infinitely valuable sacrifice to pay the price of my sin and yours. Alexander White tells the story of a dreamer. Alexander White was a 19th century Scottish Presbyterian minister. He tells the story of a dreamer who saw our Lord fastened to a post, and in his dream he saw the Roman soldier with his cat o' nine tails, his scorpion in his hand, whipping the back of the Son of God, tearing his flesh, the lead in great chunks, leaving great welts and blood upon the back of the Son of God. And in the dream, the soldier lifted the terrible scourge and brought it down and brought it down and brought it down and brought it down and every heavy thrust left the stream of blood. And finally in the dream, once when the soldier raised his hand again to strike, the dreamer rushed to stop the soldier. And as the soldier turned around, what did the dreamer see? He saw his own face. He recognized himself because it was my sin that drove the nails into his hands, my sin that pressed the crown of thorns into his brow, my sin that slew him on the cross. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And that's the meaning of Isaiah 53. And that's what makes Good Friday good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? Do you trust in him? Have you come to him in faith? If not, come to him in faith. Put your trust in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Put your trust in the only one who can redeem sinners, and that is Jesus Christ, the substitute. That's the meaning of Isaiah 53. And I am so grateful. Are you? And I trust Him. Do you? And I am saved by Him. Are you? And I want to live for him. Will you?